welcome to Las Doctoras podcast. Led by our intuition, we are creating space for conversations, asking critical questions, and interrogating the oppressive systems of power we live in. We are your hosts. I am Dr. Renee Limas, pronouns she, her, hers. I'm a Cancer sun and moon with Pisces rising, mother of water. I am Dr. Christina Rose, pronouns she, they, Virgo sun, Aquarius moon, Gemini rising, mother of earth. We are grounded in a connection to ancestral wisdom. Our work is to heal the wounds of generational trauma that is of white male and cis hetero supremacy, all while we create a way of being that celebrates, truly revels in the joy of our families and our community. Join us on our journey, not toward perfection, but into reflection, immersed in compassionate self-awareness and courageous action. Come, sit at our kitchen table, sip on some tequila with us, and let's change our world. Salud! Hello! (laughs) Episode! I'm like, welcome to Las Doctoras Podcast. Mm-hmm. Episode 39. We just Episode counted. 39. Oh, We're really excited. And we are going to be continuing our conversation today about the state of academia. I think we really feel called to have this discussion, partly because of the you know recent experiences that we've had, but I think mm-hmm. there's there's still a lot of mystery around the way mm-hmm. academia works and the what is it the ladder right the like I don't know the the hierarchy the hierarchy that you know that is academia so um, and then also you mentioned that there's deep resonance too like we're finding deep resonance we're getting messages and this conversation actually comes up because of just a a brief conversation we had and the resonance that we had with our our guest today so yeah so we're really excited to have our guest who came to us through our writing course. She is now our copy editor and and more. <laughs> and more. Yeah, one of the comadre. She's in it. And we're just so <laughs> grateful to have you now. with us. Yes. So, so Anna Linda, introduce yourself. All right. So I have to take a moment first to offer some gratitude. I just love, love, love this podcast. I always appreciate the conversations that come through. Um, I feel like there's always these truths that are being spoken and Mm -hmm. so many of us can relate to them, right? As mothers, educators, and as people who are just doing the work, right? So not only the podcast, but the writing (laughs) class, everything else you do. Thank you for creating that space. Mm -hmm. Keep things happening. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Mm -hmm. And I love Christina's dimples. (laughs) (laughs) well you have some too and that's beautiful it's such an honor to have you here Anna Linda tell us um tell our listeners just some more about who you are yeah so I am also a doctora Anna Linda Arellano Nez she her hers ella um ancestors would be in two small towns in Durango Mexico uh, mm-hmm. Small towns of Palestina and Garame are where my mom and dad started uh, the big old family that I come from, my family of origin. They had five children there. Early 70s, they made their way to Fullerton, California, a tiny little barrio in West Fullerton. Uh, three more children came. I was the last one. So I'm kind of not cursed, but I feel like forever young in that little sister way. <laughs> so that's kind of my a whole long story over there. Um, love the big family. Um, so yeah. currently I teach uh, ethnic studies courses as an adjunct professor. Uh, my degrees are in comparative literature though. I did my undergraduate work at UC Berkeley in the late 90s and uh, it was a great place to be in the late 90s. I remember going to a third world women conference conference and seeing mm. Barbara Smith, I think, Gloria Antardua, all the great radical women of color wow. writers were there. Wow. And it was, yeah, it was wow. when I was just first kind of being introduced to that work. I remember going into the archives at the library and seeing like original copies. I used to have to only, I could only take in a pencil and paper to examine um, 
original copies of this bridge called my back. And it was just like, <sighs> so that was the beginning, but it's, you know, things take time. And um, mm -hmm. let's see on the note. Um, so Shiri Moraga, Gloria Zaldúa, Ana Castillo, <laughs> time, decades go by, but it was in your writing class where I kind of got comfortable, um, you know, thinking about ancestors, not mm -hmm. just biologically, but just in recent months, I've become comfortable even inviting Gloria Zaldúa in as an elder and ancestor when I kind of do that pre-writing exercise that you guys mm -hmm. taught it. So, yeah, so then after that, I move over to UC Santa Barbara for a PhD program, and I, um, a lot of things happened there, but I did start a <laughs> dissertation. I started a dissertation looking at, um, so my degrees are in comparative literature, but towards the very end of my doctoral program, I found a type of home in the ethnic studies, Chicano and Chicano studies department. So then um, mm -hmm. people like Yolanda, uh, Broiles Gonzalez made a pretty big impact on me. Yaki, Mexicana mm -hmm. woman. Uh, Ellie Hernandez, Chela Sandoval. So kind of being in that presence um, really was having a big impact on me. But really, the fruits don't come until much later, like recently. I was doing research on oppositional consciousness in barrio narratives. So I was kind of looking at the barrio as a space of cultural resistance and kind of the stories that come out of there and so already I was interested in that work. Um, but then something happened. Uh, I got to the very end of my coursework. I was a chapter into my dissertation and I had applied for funds like um, dissertation scholarships. I'd applied for two. I also don't apply for many things like some people who are serious in that um, effort. I didn't get them and I was kind of heartbroken because I knew the people on the committees. So then um, I ended up leaving the university with the expectation that my partner was going to work and I was just going to write. That didn't happen. I ended up teaching full-time high school, mm -hmm. pretending that I was writing my dissertation on the side. Didn't happen. <laughs> then I was full-time faculty at the net college, pretending that I was writing my dissertation on the side. Didn't happen. <laughs> and then somehow, and I'll be honest, um, I was just random here and there. I'd apply to one thing or another. And I did apply for a position at UNM. And I thought I was flying over there for an interview, but really it was more like um, just a greeting and a welcoming. They had already kind of marked me for the position, a Mexican studies program. So I kind of did my talk and did all my thing and I was offered the position. It was for a visiting professor one year with the promise of a you know, tenure track line. So that happened somewhere around May. I become pregnant in June or like, I forget the timeline. But just like within a month, I found out that I was pregnant and um, it was something I wanted and I was trying to do. But I, in my head, did not think it was possible to take on a position like that and be a mom. Mm. So I remember being in Phoenix, going into the bathroom at a community college, going into the bathroom and really quickly calling up the head of the department and saying, you know what, unforeseeable circumstances, I was I was performing professional, right? Wow. And I, I declined the position, right? I said, I couldn't do it. Uh, many years later, I ran into him and he said, you know, we could have worked with you. I just didn't know it. And not only yeah. that, uh, so weird things had happened where my subconscious was reg uh, registering that doing like motherhood and full-time um, or being a full professor, I had never seen it really done. So mm -hmm. as a grad student, I remember like driving mm. over chairs department she lived like in thousand oaks i drove to the chairs department and uh, she was having like an evening dinner for grad students and then i remember i don't know if i'm saying too much here too but i remember <laughs> a baby coming into the room you know wanting to go good night and then the chairs said uh, the nanny right the nanny was doing the mothering mm. and then I just uh. recently it kind of was clicking on like somehow i must have registered that and then thinking about my own personal story and journey for me having my creating my own family has always been like one of my big things right some people mm -hmm. have different life goals because their experience so that was my big one mm -hmm. so um so I think because on some level I was always holding on protecting um, my desire to be a mom or that being my big ultimate life goal right to create a family and then when those other things are something about it there's um 
Mm. I just didn't see the two happening. Or I don't think I could have been happy doing them both. Mm. I didn't try to do that. Mm. So then uh. Yeah, I teach. Um, I remember in the last episode, somebody talked about, I think Christina talked about being really pregnant and delivering finals or being in the classroom. So I was at UNLV adjunct teaching over there and I had a big old belly. And then um, I think I came back the next semester with a little baby even with me. So mm-hmm. I did that for a while, adjuncting at um, UNLV, College of Southern Nevada. Then I make my way back to Fullerton and Fortunate for so many things, fortunate even as a professor, adjunct professor and so many for so many reasons, but then also super aware and super heavy with all Mm -hmm. the, um, all the, Mm -hmm. the heavy stuff that we carry as adjuncts. Yes. Ah, I just, I I mean, let's take a deep breath for all of that. (laughs) I think, um. There's so much, I'm like, there's so much to unpack there, right? I think the, the, you turning down a job, mm-hmm. um, because of motherhood first, mm-hmm. I think that's so real for you to feel mm-hmm. like you can do both. I heard you saying there was no model for that. We didn't have, you're right. Like we didn't necessarily have a model for that as far as academia. Um, and, um, mm. gosh, it's like, I, I remember, I was taking when I, I I was pregnant and then I took my oral qualifying exams and I didn't want to tell anybody because I was like, oh, what if they don't pass me? So like right after I was like, oh, by the way, I'm pregnant. Yeah. Um, but I, but I feel that right. That like that there's a separation, right? Like you can't do both. You can't do mm-hmm. it all. Kind of I feel like to our intros, we need to add birth order and um, <laughs> um, kids like how old and also like what you wanted to be when, you know, you grew up or when, like when you were in, in, in college, you know, cause it was those models of, you know, all of my uh, teachers, if they were women, they were women of white privilege and none of them had children, you know, yeah, just, exactly. you know, so um, I just, I just love the fullness and the brevity, you know, you brought in just so much within just a little bit. Thank you so much for, yeah. for going in, going in deep. And <laughs> and can I can I disclose um, your sign? Actually, you can tell us what is your sun sign, won't you please? Because it will so, be evident. Pisces, Sun, Cancer, Moon, Capricorn, Rising. Wow. So lots of you're like me. I'm like <laughs> lots of Cancer and Pisces. Oh my gosh. That Capricorn rising though. Mm -hmm. That Capricorn. That's so funny. My son is a a Capricorn son. Um, So I think we'll get into it, but I I wanted to kind of, I wrote something down when you were talking about how you found Mm. a home in academia was in like ethnic studies, Chicano studies. And I, and that resonated so much with me. Even so, I was in an ethnic studies department and I, I still didn't quite feel at home. Um, and it was, and then I stepped in, I took a class at like a Chicana literature class. And that's when I found home, right. It was like, oh, we're, this is where all the Chicanas are. This is where we're at. You know, I felt a sense of, um, safety and, you know, whatever it was. Um, so I think there's something to be said about the search for home in academia, especially for those of us who are probably the first in our families to pursue these higher degree like it's one thing to get your your bachelor's which you know is is a feat in and of itself but here we are like we're gonna go get our PhDs and we're gonna you know Mm -hmm. and we're gonna get our PhDs you know in these fields and and do the research that we want to do like it's a lot you know there's a lot to um to talk about there Pico, Whittier, and Fullerton. I just want to name this too. That's like, kind of that's like, taking that, over. That, no, that's for real. Um, I, and I, I'm like, I hope we don't go without talking to about like Fullerton and the uniqueness of Fullerton, you know, being in Orange County. And I'm sure that's an interesting uh, dynamic. But I think the heart of what we want to talk about today is. Um, again, just kind of continuing this this conversation from the last episode about the state of academia. And I think you know, some big themes are the exploitation 
of being that the three of us are adjunct, you know, um, adjunct instructors. So the exploitation that happens, um, I think there's, there's a lot of mystery around um, what academia, even actually it like the, the career path of academics, right. And the, you know, yeah, it's, you know, there's, it's still a, who you know kind of situation, right? Um, so I think we, you know, just, and then the, the mental exhaustion that the career, the academic career path requires, right? The applying, the not getting it. Um, and I think, you know, Christina, you know, pointed out before we jumped on too, is that there is a, there's a complexity in the experience of adjunct, right? There is some, there are things we all, there are things that we do enjoy about being an adjunct. Um, and yet just because we enjoy it does not mean that we should not get paid <laughs> as much as mm-hmm. our full-time colleagues mm-hmm. or as much as our tenure yes. track and tenured colleagues. Mm-hmm. Um, because, I mean, I think the one thing that kept coming to mind was, you know, Christina, you're teaching five classes at one campus and Alinda, I think you have a similar um, experience and mm-hmm. you shouldn't have to teach five classes to be full-time, right? Because tenure track <laughs> can teach three classes and, mm-hmm. you know, do all these other things. And so mm-hmm. not that, you know, not that that's any better, you know, cause tenure tracks are, you know, they're exploited in their own way, but mm-hmm. you know, when we're looking at the, the nuance of this. So maybe the question for you is what has been your experience as an adjunct and, um, you know, we'll eventually get to your experience, too, in applying for tenure track positions. Mm-hmm. So let's see, what do I like about being an adjunct? <laughs> um, it's kind of like a dream come true. So when I was little, I wanted to grow up to be a mom. I am that person and it has a lot to do with my early childhood. But I wanted to grow up and do that. And I wanted to grow up and just read books, you know, literature professor. I wanted to read and write. Uh, When I was in seventh grade, um, my brother-in-law's little sister invited me to Berkeley. And in the subway, I met Margarita Melville. And she looked just like the grandmother who passed just before I was born. They like same Mm. features. So I had this experience where I had the good fortune of actually meeting and talking to a Mexican-American woman who was a professor. Maybe she was an adjunct or a lecturer. Uh, now, now that I think about it, maybe she had, you know, <laughs> now I can connect yeah. her experience. But she was underground subway and I saw her and I thought, oh, I'm going to be her. I'm going to mm-hmm. do that. So I'm yeah. going to be a professor yeah. like her. So then in a big way, um, teaching in the classroom, the college classroom is like a dream come true. I love learning. For me, um, classrooms, libraries, are my safe space right mm. i'm a mom i'm a wife and different many different things but my happy love safe space is the classroom it is books it's library mm. right? so this mm. is where like all the learning happens and i never saw myself as being kind of very didactic it's kind of just like book club let's talk about literature let's learn from each other let's explore let's ex- escape let's grow so i love that part of it i get to teach Right. And I get, I kind of get to teach my own way because I am mm-hmm. teaching in an ethnic studies department. So there's mm-hmm. not, there's some, but there's not as much pressure to, um, you know, get all institutional and start measuring and quantifying knowledge. I can still kind of do in the classroom. Uh, I think we had talked about this before. We kind of do learning in our own organic type of way. Right. So mm-hmm. eyes are not so much on top of us. Maybe that's, I don't know if that's specific to the adjunct or if it's also the tenure track professor. So I love that. Um, I love that I'm close to campus. I love that I'm teaching in a town uh, that my family's been at for the past since the early 70s. So it's kind of really close to hometown for me. Um, I love the colleagues, right? I love when I, sometimes we share offices, right? We're all crammed into each other. Oh, this is a funny story. Uh, recently, the adjuncts got moved to one office and I brought my son Carlos to go uh, just check into the office real quick. And on the door, 
nine, 10 names were on the door wow. of one small office. So all of us adjuncts were sharing um, the space, right? A couple hours here, a couple mm-hmm. hours there. So then um, I love, um, yeah, so I love the colleagues. I love um, sharing with other professors. Um, there's, uh, I don't have to move around to a lot of different campuses. I'm teaching all my classes at one campus. So um, there's a lot. Um, I love the students. I love teaching new literature every semester. I love that growing. So that part, that long, that's a part of like kind of the dream come true. Um, I don't like, oh, I like the insurance. <laughs> and I like the benefits. <laughs> I, that's I real. That's like, real. Um, Name I don't like uh, knowing that um, my pay is significantly um, smaller than the mm. tenure track professors. I don't like that huge gap. Um, I don't like that we have to teach more than four classes in order to make something that's substantial. That's not embarrassing. Um, (sighs) I don't like that. uh, I'm in a position now where I may be moving into three-year contracts, but I don't like that at any, at the end of any semester, there may be no work in the following semester. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't like that. I think Diane in the previous episode uh, talked about somewhere between 70 and 80 percent of people applying for tenure track positions aren't going to get it. So I don't mm-hmm. like the scarcity of tenure track positions, mm-hmm. which makes mm-hmm. it uh, kind of almost impossible, seemingly impossible to get into a tenure track position. Mm-hmm. I don't like that the university or that as an adjunct, we don't get supported in our creative and academic research that we're always doing because we're always doing it every semester. We do research to prepare every syllabus. So, but we don't get supported to the extent that that research could become a paper that gets validated by peer reviewed Ah. people, right? And that's kind of what's needed to move in there. So you kind of get caught, right? You're working all the time and you don't have the extra space and time to put down on paper what is probably going to give you the ability, the profile to move into the research because you have to prove that you're already doing the research and we are doing it, but it kind of comes through in our teaching, mm-hmm. right? not in the mm-hmm. essays. So yeah, that's a big one. I don't like that um, as adjunct professors um, with almost impossible workloads and sometimes mm-hmm. um, uh, too much sacrifice. I don't like that um, we're not, we're not, um, taken care of or supported, I guess, supported in the other work that we do, but we can't bring it to like full fruition because we're struggling to just uh, get through the day. Right. Mm-hmm. And then also uh, being parents. I don't like that. Um, the motherhood part is something that we're not supposed to talk about unless you're in the tenure track position. And on the side, you can chat with other people who are struggling in that way. Ooh. But in trying to get into tenure track, once you mention mother, I almost sometimes imagine that, if there were people on the committee who were mothers, who saw someone coming in, mm-hmm. they already feel the weight, right? Not the weight, but the, the being stretched, right? Yeah. Stretched with all the different things like, oh, this person's going to come in. And it kind of relates to something else that's been being said, like, do we tell the undergraduates um, mm-hmm. the reality of adjunct mm-hmm. life because it's their dream? And then in the same way, I feel like maybe between tenure track and lecture, it's like, you know, already you're stretched thin, you come here, you continue to be stretched thin. I don't know. I don't know how that translates, but I feel like there's a lot of unspoken stuff. So even when there are lecturers or tenure track people who are mothers, there's these weird silences that we can't talk about. (laughs) Like it gets your tongue and it's almost in the same way where when we're writing all those letters of recommendation that we never get paid for three, mm. four hours here and there, mm. Um, mm. we're doing it with the hope that mm-hmm. they'll have a better outcome or they'll make it into mm-hmm. tenure track mm-hmm. position that like Diane said, will allow them to buy a house, you know? Oh, I just <laughs> like and dislike. Can we, can you print this? Can we, this is like a manifesto. <laughs> And it's got to be in the in the magazine, St. Lunita. It's going to be in there. Yeah, I, it, it I think. So brilliant. That, yeah, the, the, I mean, the unpaid research. And I like how you just validated the research that we do for our syllabus, our syllabi every semester. You're, you're 
Absolutely right. That Because we part of the syllabus is we kind of have to stay up to date, right, with the scholarship so that we're, you know, giving our students the full scope of what the scholarship looks like, you know, um, and updating. And you're right. None of that gets valued. Um, it had me thinking like, man, Christina, the shit that we do in this podcast, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, we've yeah. been really trying to reframe like that. This is part of our academic work, right? And uh-huh. this is part of our scholarship, but you're right. It's, and we have been able to kind of put it on our CV, but even that, like, even when you do research and you do get published, you're not getting paid for that. You're not getting paid for the mm-hmm. time that you're writing it or the publishing, you just get to put another line on your CV in hopes that Mm -hmm. that'll help you get tenure Mm -hmm. or in hopes that that'll help you get a tenure Mm -hmm. track position to begin with. Like, so it's all unpaid labor with, it's like they're holding the carrot, like just keep, you know, grinding and doing all this work and, you know, you'll eventually reach the carrot, which, you know, again, pointing out like, that's not, the truth is it's not really a possibility for most of us, right? Like most of us are not going to get that tenure track, um, that tenure track goal, but man, the end, the research, I love how you say that. Yes, we're doing freaking research all the time, mm-hmm. but it's not being counted, right? It doesn't get counted in, in the either way in both in our paycheck or in, on our CV, you know, like the, the kind the syllabus that we're, you know, making mm. the um, invisible work right so then um, the invisible I, um, work Renee I really like that you pointed out too that uh, tenure track people probably do experience um can't speak to it but experience some <laughs> uh, degree of exploitation too right um, yeah and then um because that kind of allows us to zoom out and then I'm thinking if we zoom mm. out even further there's like this impossibility because as mothers and as academics right um all that invisible work, right? All that invisible work that's being mm-hmm. done and also mm-hmm. as mothers. So almost the whole thing becomes kind of impossible, right? Or right now, if there are more stories where people are managing, you know, motherhood and tenure track positions, feeling not stretched or feeling not having, not like every day, they don't have to make the decision between, am I going to be more here or more there? Yeah. Yeah. Am I going to raise my child or is someone else going to raise my child? You know, like I've been thinking a a lot about what you said at the beginning about the position and feeling like you couldn't. And and even though they said they would work with you, I still don't. I yeah. Like what does that actually mean? I just don't even think it still would work. Um, I mean, for me personally, that's I'm like, yeah. How that? How would that work? I spent all this lovely time with my kid in the last six years because. Um, because I'm hustling, <laughs> right? <laughs> because of that. But if I had had a tenure track position or a tenure position, I, I, I don't think that would be possible. Um, but that could also just be, but it, oh, there's a lot of, feelings. no, 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 don't invalidate. <laughs> I'm stepping in. No, but but I didn't realize when you first said that, I thought, oh, wow, you can't believe you did that. And now I'm like, oh, I probably would have done that too. Yeah. I like, I would have been, and also, you know, going out of state, anyways, blah, blah. I really just, I really hear you in this whole, and I think this is what these, these conversations have brought up, which is just a hell of a lot of grief and anger, you know, around (laughs) what the impossible lack of choices, you know, this is a very anti-choice kind of um, world that we are living in this academia, academic space with doctorates, you know, and we make Mm -hmm. up, you know, less than 1% of, you know, and we know Mm -hmm. all the people we're talking about, you know, and it is just, it feels very dire as I, okay. I was writing that academia is still capitalism right I mean capitalism is all about scarcity I think we've said this before but so that's the that's the but it's like contingent right like academia is contingent on capitalism so it's you know it's the like you just you know you work really hard but to what end you know because even I've seen professors mentors who are tenure tracked and they're, you know, like they don't retire because they can't retire, you know, because there's not like good pension plans and there's not, you know, 
um, <clears throat> there's there's no retirement plans really, you know, and the the system is just going to keep like, um, yeah, I, I I do think exploitation happens, but that I mean that's that is the you know capitalism is exploitation, academia is capitalism, so of course academia is going to be exploitative at all levels. Um, and I think particularly for adjuncts who don't have any stability. Um, but I think, I think, you know, a part of this and, 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 you know, to kind of bring to what we kind of want to talk about is this application for um, tenure track positions, like that process, you know, to kind of demystify what that looks like. Mm-hmm. And in, in our experience of that discovering that, um, I think you said it, Anna It's like, why? So, <clears throat> you know, you have to apply and then they narrow it down to however many people. And then, you know, they pick somebody from there. And more often than not, mm-hmm. they've already decided who they're going to hire long before they even put out the call mm-hmm. for applications. And so it's like, why? why, you know, string us along if you already know who you're going to hire, right? Mm -hmm. I was um, thinking about that too and thinking about how, like, who's at fault, right? Or how is this happening? Or who's like, why are we upset? And who are we upset at? mm. Um, So really thinking about also like, um, imagine if we were, I imagine if I was um, tenure track and I know a lot of people are coming out with PhDs with great research. So before my department even has the ability to open a position, I already know a lot of people who either I studied with or my colleagues or whatever, Mm -hmm. there's already a lot of names before I even have Mm -hmm. the opportunity to open up the position in my department. So I'm like, so I was trying to go back and be like, why does that happen? And that's kind of like dirty, but it's um there's just a lot of people right mm, so yeah even before the job description is written up they probably already know a lot of people who personally are connected to them yeah. or trying to get in and I think and and you're right and it's like then let's just be transparent about that I think that's the thing that is so frustrating because it's like we all know this right like we know when we apply for jobs Oh, they're more, you know, unless you know, you're the one that's what I always think about. Like, if you're the one that they're, you know, that they're eyeing, like, do you know that? Like, do you know you're the one? And how do I get in on that shit? Right? Like, how do I become the one that they're creating this job for? But anyway, um, and so it's, I, there's, there's not enough transparency in that, um, in the hiring process, right? To say, hey, you know, we have this position or we have this funding because usually that's how it starts, right? Like we have this funding for this position and we Mm want to hire somebody with this specialty. Um, And we like, instead of having, because the the rationale, right? The academia says is we have to make sure we pull from a a fair pool. Cool. Yeah, a wide enough pool, and we have to make it fair and equal, right? That everyone has equal opportunity, mm-hmm. which is bullshit. Like we all know that that's not the truth, right? We know that it's not equal opportunity. So why even pretend? That's what I'm like. Just don't pretend that you're trying to give everybody equal opportunity. Just say, hey, we have this person we want to hire. Like why go through all the the you know the nonsense. Yeah. I, you know, it, it makes me think this is actually what we're calling for a lot. We're like, just admit you're effing racist and sexist, <laughs> right. okay? You know, just admit that you have like a bias right here and just be transparent about that. And I think that's what we're asking. That is what it just like, you have to do this. You no, know, the person that's getting hired or maybe getting hired or thinks they're the person, if that were me, I'd be like, knock on wood, knock on wood. I'm not going to say nothing about this because I don't want to like, jinx it you know but that's that's me but but the people in power the committees the university it's their the narrative is they're coming from a fair place and yeah the truth is there's no possibility of that right like and so there's <laughs> right. this discord this disconnect here and um we're just I think that's what we're just asking for hey just be just be real you know like um and I think that there's I mean, most companies 
are kind of like, I think that that's the weird thing. Like I, it's, it's worse to pretend to be fair. And then you're not really fair than to just say, this is, you know, who we're looking for, you know what I mean? Or this is who we want to hire. We're, like we're equal opportunity employers. Is that what the phrase is? I forget. I, or yeah. It's like, like, yeah. But that's yes, we all know that, but they have to say that, right? Too. So, yeah, I, I, yeah, I think that's the frustrating part. It's kind of, you know, it's the like, um, it is the who you, it is who you know, right? I, I actually had, I think somebody came into, I don't know if it was my DMs or our DMs and said something about, oh, oh, I, it had to be mine because I said something about teaching at a community college and they said, oh, you know, I'm, I'm looking for a community college you know, position, like, how did you apply? And I was like, and I, I have to admit that the jobs that I got were because of people I knew, right. And the connections that I knew, right. Christina, the same thing, right. Like same, same. And so I think that like, and so that's what I said. I said, look, you know, unfortunately it is about who, you know, and so I, but I actually, I don't even know if unfortunately is the right word. It's just to say, rather than, there's got to be this kind of like shift in for me, I'm not exploit. I'm not going to be exploited. I'm going to exploit the system. If it is about who, you know, then start reaching out to people, you know, that are working at, you know, universities and exploit that relationship and say, Hey, is to put me on the top of the list. I mean, white people do that shit all the time. Right. Like, well, that's um, the thing you have to get closer to whiteness and maleness to make mm, that like a reality. Ugh. Uh, Anyways, I just so, what, like- so what's the alternative? <laughs> so you had mentioned, Renee, like uh, if you got in, you were going to totally redo it, right? Hiring process is going to change. <laughs> application process is going to change. So thinking about that, thinking about even having like diverse com- hiring committees, but still, mm-hmm. like you said, it's like um, inevitable that the um, personal comes in, right? Because yeah. I'm guessing that most hires have some type of personal connection to the candidate because there are maybe a thousand candidates that are well qualified, but then mm-hmm. the committee is personally connected to maybe four or five of them already, you know, mm-hmm. or maybe more than that. So everyone's, you could definitely make the case that they're all qualified, but I also have this personal connection to this person right. that maybe tips the scale. And then how do you, like you said, you can't avoid, I, I don't know how to get around that. I think that's the question is, is how do you change the hiring process when the truth is that, like you said, there's maybe a thousand candidates, but there's only one job like, right. Or there's, you know, the, there's so many of us PhDs, doctorates out there, but there's very, very few um, tenure track positions. But I think, I don't know. I don't know. I think, yeah, that is a reality, but we're all adjuncting somehow. So what if you just made all those adjunct positions full time, like tenure track, like we just all yeah. got tenure track. It's like the know, chancellor, the right? Default. The provost, all of them, they're making so much money. They need to share the wealth and that would help. I mean, I think that's on one level. I think what's happening for me right now, Tim, is like, I'm angry at this narrative I've told myself is that with a doctorate, I'm out of the rat race, you know, I don't, or I'm out of like the hustle race, you know, and also a narrative around motherhood around parenting and how, how unsupported this is. There's two major like kind of conflicts of narrative here. I thought like becoming like a doctorate would give me access to, yeah, my, my childhood job, which are, you know, my childhood, my college dream job was being also a professor, you know, and being in circles and, and writing. And, and so once I got there, I'm good. I'm golden. You know, I don't have to worry no more, you know, um, it's like yeah. the game of life or something, you know, like literally the board game. And then also with parenting, like, you know, you have a baby, like, suddenly I'm not the weird aunt or the daughter that didn't have a kid. I'm now the person that has that kid. So people are going to come around me and support me. Right. And both of that, the, those stories um, just have to kind of be retold. And then, and how do I, how do I retell them now again to our students or to like people we mentor to people we write back letters to, but how do I 42, you know, as a, a mother of a, a young kid, how do I reframe that story now so that I'm not, caught up in all of this trauma drama kind of stuff is there even a way out of that you know and maybe that's the other thing believe well I think 
I think that, um, you know, it's really interesting how we've been having this conversation about academia and people from the outside looking in might even see us as, I don't know, right? Like we have jobs, we have families, you know, we have, I mean, there might be people see us as like, we've made it, (laughs) right? We have our dream jobs, you know, we, we are getting paid something. And I make, I make more than my dad ever made. Right. Yeah. But that was all, I mean, inflation, right. (laughs) When When you, when you think about inflation, but I think that like, so from the outside looking in, there is this perspective of you should just thank your lucky stars. We should just be so lucky that we can do the thing that we love to do. I mean, I, you know, there's even this narrative around the millennials and technically I'm an old millennial, but whatever, I'll, I'll embrace it. Um, that we're entitled. Gen, Gen, Gen X over here. <laughs> Shout Gen out X. to Gen X. Um, <laughs> Like there's this notion of like, oh, how dare you be so entitled to want more than just the bare minimum, right? Like that, you know, the fact that we're saying, no, having my dream job is not enough. I should get paid what I deserve in my dream job, right? I should be able to live a a life that is sustainable. I should be, you know what I mean? Like, and that that is, that is um, audacious, right? To, To ask for these things. So I think, you know, I think that there, we, we can acknowledge that and say again that, um, you know, I was talking to one of my students today and so I had them do a, it's the class that I'm teach I teach a, it's a first year, it's a class for first year students and it's a women's studies course, but it's also, it's cross-listed with, um, it's like a university 101 course, right? Where they have to like learn you know, about college, whatever. So anyway, so the last assignment was they had to do a semester plan for next semester, you know, like, and, you know, what are your goals for next semester? And, you know, there was a lot of school stuff on there. And I was like, you know, it's okay to have fun too. Like you should, you should, what your goals should be to have fun, you know, to enjoy the time. And I, one of my students was just talking about work and school. And I was like, you know, life is much more than just about work. And I think that that's, That's the thing that we're searching for is so that we don't have to be just grinding it out all the time and working our ass off to live this life we live. We shouldn't have to work this hard to live the life that we live. And and we're calling out the exploitation. Um, But I think to other people, it's like we're just bitching about everything, you know, we're just complaining because, you know what I mean? Like, I think that there's that perspective. I'm going to quote my, one of my favorite artists, Ruby Ibarra. And she says, we don't pray because we mobilize and we organize, you know, and I feel like that's kind of what we're doing by having these conversations, by ranting, by like trying to like get it out, you know, um, it's almost like a rage room. <laughs> that's what I feel like right now. I'm like, ah, I'm just going to start throwing. I've never been, a, I've never been a thrower, you know, but it just, I think, in my, my words were just like, F that, you know, like, um, yeah. Anna Linda, I love it when you just share your wisdom. <laughs> Any, what, what else do you have for us? It's just so, such a gift to have you here. Well, hearing you two um, chat here and then with the last episode also, my mind has just been kind of wandering towards, um, support and community and all the different ways we need to support mothers support Mm. each other support academics we need support and that looks uh it looks different and there's a lot of different ways that uh so even support in bigger paychecks again um you're right Renee a lot of people will be like be quiet what are you complaining about Mm -hmm. you Mm -hmm. you already have a lot but um it's just that we can see something bigger and then we see the yeah. exploitation once you see the bigger part, but, um, you know, support in, um, gosh, so living wage is different, different profession, different jobs. Right. But, um, I don't know. We always think that as adjuncts, we have flexibility, right. We can grade at night, prep at night and do things. We have the flexible schedule, but the flexible schedule often translates into not 40 hours, but 50 hours or these crazy days that become like, what it's 10 o'clock a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. I remember I tried grading through the night and then the next day trying to get my kids to school. My boys are now 
at the moment they're 12 and 13. And um, I remember just kind of showing up to drop off and they had like a, they went to a parent participation program. So parents were mm -hmm. very involved in the classroom. And I remember just being weary and like, I only slept a few hours because I was upgrading papers all night. So, so in terms of like, okay, so we're not supposed to say anything because we have maybe a, something decent in terms of income and flexible jobs so that we can work double time doing both things. Um, but still no, still yeah. no, because still we're getting burnt out and still we're tired mm -hmm. and still we mm -hmm. know that we can, um, we can enjoy it more if there was more space, time and more financial security. So mm -hmm. support mm -hmm. in, in terms of that way, make, make us, um, um, I don't know, happier. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I think like when we say that we deserve more, we're also saying that about everybody, right? I mean, there's a there's still debate about what the minimum wage should be and oh that $15 is too much. And you're like, what the fuck? Like to, you know, and so I think that when we talk about our our experience of exploitation, you know, we're not ignoring the you know, the other fields that are also experiencing exploitation in their own way. And when we call for um, justice in our field, we're also calling for justice in all, you know, like when we're calling for fair wages in our field, we're also calling for fair wages in mm -hmm. all fields. You know, this mm -hmm. is not just about um, academia, but it's, it's, I mean, because I know that you know, we're adjuncts, right? So we're, we're at, we're kind of at the bottom, you know, of this hierarchy, but we all know, remember what it was like to be a TA <laughs> and how <laughs> shitty that was, right? I mean, talk about exploitation. So they uh -huh. pay our tuition, but uh -huh. we have to go and be uh -huh. the, you know, we're grading papers, we're Mm -hmm. holding sections for these, you know, professors, these mm -hmm. tenure track professors. Right. So yeah, that was a, and we're getting is this tiny little stipend. I mean, I think mm -hmm. about grad school and, and how yeah. much our stipend was, and it's like, how did you even, how did I live on that? I mean, I didn't yeah. have kids, but like, it's, numbers, um, okay. Yeah, no, go for it. The numbers look like I do remember being a TA now. And I remember <laughs> just, gosh, I would move out of wherever I lived just to get a couple free months of rent <laughs> because I was always so strapped, right? For the summer, yeah. and like that, that little break. Um, but what did it look like? A lot of TAing and then maybe a thousand dollars a month, uh -huh. which is like two fifty a week. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. Probably putting uh -huh. the 20, 30, 40 hours in there, mm -hmm. two fifty mm -hmm. a week. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I was gonna yeah. say I remember it being like a thousand dollars a month, which had I not been married to a man who was working full time, yeah. my life wouldn't. I, there was even a time that Tommy was laid off. And so he filed unemployment and what he was making on unemployment was still more That's than more. my TA stipend. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, the, the story for that is that we're doing this shitty job so that we can climb the ladder. This is, and so th this is still, the story still now, like I think about actually, fellow teachers that don't have doctorates who are paid a, a lower wage than we are oh, at the mm -hmm. adjunct level, you know, um, and that, and just this, but the whole thing is like, just keep working because you can keep climbing up. You can keep, that's, you can keep climbing up. Right? So is it's it like, like a pyramid dream story. <laughs> <laughs> Is it like just this big pyramid scheme? <laughs> that's <laughs> I hope not that we're kind of like that friend for, you know, hey, join this pyramid scheme to our students. Is that what we are? <laughs> I mean, a nightmare. I don't know, <laughs> which I think leads me to, you know, um, it was interesting. So after our last interview and um, Diane texted me later, she was like, she asked me how, you know, because she saw everything that you and I do, Christina, and then all the classes that we're teaching. And she was like, how do you do it all? And, and, and I was like, I don't like, I like, I probably not very well. Like, I don't, I don't feel like I'm giving the best of me to any part of the things that I do, um, which is what I'm really reflecting on lately. <laughs> um, but I think, and the other thing that she said um, was, 
you know, I, I, which I think Christine and I have been very, very conscious about is like, how can we really shift our reliance from being on the university to creating our own thing that is sustainable for us, right? Which is Las Doctoras was born out of this desire mm -hmm. to be sustainable without having to rely on the university. And so I think I keep coming back to this question of, is the university sustainable? Is it, it, is it destined for death? I mean, I don't know, like is, you know, at, at the way that it is, For those of us who don't want to be exploited, you know, is it, is it, will it just never be what we need it to be? And will we, I mean, I mean, I think the answer is yes, right? Like we need to just create new systems um, yes. because the university is never really going to give us what we deserve. Right. I mean, I don't know. Can I say just briefly, you know, I think um, working together with you is I'm recognizing great. And not just that, because um, we both can't, you know, we both make up Las Actores. We're both contributing to that. And we, we kind of tag team and things like that. But I think we also, I feel like we extend grace to each other and, we, and reminders of that grace. And that is actually priceless, right? Like, yes, of yeah. course, you're busy. Yes, that's a yes. You know, like, and I think there's a, that, that is something I'm grateful for that I didn't realize that I'm grateful for. I think as far as the university goes, when you're asking those questions, I was just like, is the answer Jesus? Yeah, the answer is yes. Yes, the answer is the one that's just obvious. Like we can't, we've never been able to, you know, like it's, it's part of the American dream package, but I always thought it was so counter to it. I thought it was like the alternative dream package, you know, or something mm -hmm. like that, you know? It was the, um, but it, but it, but it is, I've just fallen prey to the myth of become more male, white, intellectual, educated, become more part of that system. And then you'll pass, you'll pass in that world and you'll just won't have to even like give a fuck about anything else. And I just think <laughs> it's just so far from the truth, mm -hmm. just so far. So imagine if, Yeah, imagine if they could write grace into contracts, right? Not only in the industry or the field of academia, but grace is written in the contracts. Like, not only do we give you this and this, but we also offer you grace. Um, and maybe understanding and recognition that not are you not everyone's a white male with privilege, with some you know wife who's taking care of everything. <laughs> so, um, offering us grace and offering. Um, recognizing the truth of our lives because women mm -hmm. are in all positions all over the place right so giving them space to do their uh, work and also be mothers maybe same goes yeah. for fathers or as things change but I feel like change is so hard and so slow because we still have this larger thing where um, women or mothers, women, so much invisible work, right? So much yeah. work that doesn't get valued yeah. or accounted for like, oh, we can't see that you're doing all that too. You know, you just got to do this too. So once um, yeah. it's more recognized, um, mm -hmm. recently yeah. there's another conversation going on about how um, our country doesn't really value family, right? Mm. Because or I could say it, but if they did, why not write that grace into contracts for women who are filling in the positions and why mm. a woman shouldn't be, um, you know, mm. the fact that she's a mom shouldn't be something she hides because it makes her less of a desirable candidate because she can't mm -hmm. fully sacrifice herself for this job. <laughs> it reminds, that reminds me of when I was, I think I was, maybe I was still do, finishing my dissertation and I was having kids and um, I was, uh, I was applying to tenure track positions at a, a, a community college. And I had a friend of mine who I went to grad school with, who was younger than me, who didn't have kids and, and got a tenure and landed a tenure track position at a community college. And she was like, Oh, you just have to do this, this, and this. Like, she was like, she said it like that. All you have to do is A, B, and C. <laughs> and I looked at her with like my boobs filling up from, I need to go pump. Right. You know, and like barely got any sleep, you know, you know, with the maybe, maybe six month old. Right. Look, telling me all you have to do is right. And I'm like, 
all I have to do is do all of that and breastfeed and keep this baby alive and, you know, keep myself alive. And I felt, I felt like there was such a, a lack of empathy for like, I that's just not possible for me. I can't do all of those things that you're saying because I'm doing these other things. I'm, you know, creating life. Um, and I think if we could put the, the, the skills that we've learned in motherhood on our CV, right? Like, knows how to multitask, right? Yeah. Knows how to keep a schedule, right? No, like the skills that we learn in motherhood are not valued at all, you know? So it's not even just that we have to hide it, but that it's, it doesn't, it doesn't count. It doesn't matter, you know, when the truth is yeah, motherhood skills are probably the biggest skills that we've, you know, learned. And, and I love when you say, to write grace into a contract. And now I'm yeah. thinking like, we gotta, we gotta put that in our contracts. <laughs> I love it. Well, two things I, we could put like grew a lung, you know, made sure like a living being didn't die, you know, today, <laughs> yes. the future, the future. But also it made me think of a conversation on book club last night, which is like, I think we don't even know what a university could be because we haven't, no. it hasn't, we, we are just, you know, less than 1%. I don't know, like women of color make up, I don't even less than 5%. I'm not sure what it is, but like, we haven't even had like an nth of an impact that we could mm. have because of the resistance. And I think the more that we're a part of this space, any space that we're a part of, it will become revolutionary. Last night we were talking about with novels or writing. We don't even know what like a new, there's a new genre out there. Mm but there's just so much resistance to it. And I think that's the same thing here. And maybe, maybe, you know, ojalá, like, you know, what we're, we're creating with Las Doctores is, is something, um, something transformative, right? For that's yeah. educational and yes, grace. Let's put grace into that space, you know? Yeah. Um, I think we are actually, but like, let's name that. That's beautiful. I wonder I, if as women of color, like, right, women of color, I wonder if there's something in our DNA that's like from hundreds of years old that for me, I would give credit for like that resistance. Like I can't do both or like the resistance to a system that's so darn competitive, that's going to have mm -hmm. you working around the clock and dismiss um, the more important role of raising children, right? Or growing human, mm. right? So I feel like there may be something deep or like that ancestral caller voice that says, no, you know, mm -hmm. no, we even if the system, even if it doesn't value it, you know that you better value, that this is something that needs to be valued about. Oh, you know, I think children. that is 100%. I think that 100% that there is an ancestral calling in us to not, um, Mm -hmm. what's you know I always say that like you know somebody a woman who is strong no se deja right like they don't let themselves be taken advantage of and not that that's you know because that's like victim blaming but just we don't roll over right and I think there is something about this this urge for us to to call these things out because we know that there is something better than this right because I think you know when people say oh you should be so lucky have this job there they come from this idea that like that's you know that's the goal like that's what you want like there's nothing better than that and I think we're like mm -hmm. no <laughs> we think that there's something much better than this and imagine mm -hmm. that right imagine you know that there can be something better than this but I, I love that you say that there's this sort of innate ancestral thing in us that you know, mm -hmm. that pushes us to, to, to resist and pushes us to not just be like happy with, you know, where we're and And the truth is, cause like I said, you know, similar to you, Annalinda, I was, when I realized I wanted to be a professor was I was, I was getting my master's in Chicano studies at Cal State LA and my Chicana feminist professor was doing her spiel. And I was like, Oh, that's what I want to do. Like, mm -hmm. that's what I want to be. Mm -hmm. And, and now like, she's a colleague of mine and, you know, I think she's in like her fifties and I just, this, I mean, this is not, <laughs> I just see her exhaustion, you know, mm -hmm. and I see, and because she's amazing, you know, she's, she's always there. She's always been there for students. You know, she's still out there like 
doing her work. She's written books. She's, you know, published all the things, you know, she's tenure, all that stuff. Um, but just, I, I can sense this level of exhaustion. And I think that um, my perception is as much as she wants to mentor the next generation of academics, um, I think we owe it to her and her generation to not be so exhausted by the time we get to be her age, right? I think that we do our foremother, you know, like, cause there's this, well, I had to go through all this. So you should have to go through it. And I actually think our Chicana feminist foremothers don't want us to have to suffer. They're like, you know, I, we all talk to Ana Castillo, right. In um, in book club. And I feel like that's what I heard from her. You know, it's like, yeah. you know, we need to make sure that if we're going to, you know, what the next generation needs is a lot more rest and a lot more grace and a lot more empathy. And so that we're not in our fifties being burnt out completely, you know, like that's just, that's not what we want. I just add, and I know our time is up. And so I I can talk about this next time too, when we talk, but you know, my mentor that in undergrad who can, who I was like, I want your job. She died um, a few years ago and I spoke at her funeral and her house was just a book just the library itself and all of her books had no place to go no one Mm. knew what to do with them it was a really tragic moment for me and she she didn't have children her family was kind of away but she had some close friends but only like a few of her students it was a really actually as I think about it I just think oh I don't that is not I want so much more, you know? Yeah. And, and so I love the naming, you know, I think the other thing I said, I joked about growing a lung and keeping a human alive, but like also doing the inner child work. So I don't traumatize the next generation. Ooh. Like that is hella hard work. <laughs> and I'm, I'm okay to get paid for that. I'm okay to like, say like that. Into our thing. students, right? Like, I mean, yes, obviously we all kind of are invested in doing that for our children, but we also have students we're dealing with, with 18 to 20 year olds, you know, who we as professors, I mean, I have students who, when, you know, like, especially this last couple of years, right. The, the pandemic and, telling me, oh, I got COVID or, oh, my mom got COVID or, you know, all these things. And I'm like, just do what you got to do. I'll excuse this many assignments, you know, and, um, and they're like, thank you, thank you, thank you. Because there's professors who are still holding this like hard line of these standards of, you know, and I'm like, and to me, that's a, that's a major, a lack of grace, a lack of empathy for our students coming from the perspective of, well, you know, you can't call yourself a, you know, academic, if you, you know, haven't jumped through these hoops and I'm like, why? Like, so, and I think in that way, that's an abusive relationship, you know, as a professor. So not just can we perpetuate abuse to our children, but even to our students. And so, yes, we're going the extra step to say, we're not going to be those professors. We're going to be the professors who have done the inner child work so that we're not perpetuating these things for our students. And that is a lot of work, right? When you're like, when you're like, can you just fucking get it together? <laughs> like you want to tell your students that like, can you just get your shit together? But we're well, like, oh, we, we, we're going to have empathy. We're going to, you know, and we're going to have grace and we're going to like, it is a lot of work, you know? <laughs> so I think I just got a happy answer uh, thinking about like Gramsci and all those wonderful mm. philosophers. Um, thinking about like how the, you know, how are things going to change when it's so big, uh, the devaluing of ourselves, motherhood also, but in the classrooms, right. I had a syllabus where I wrote rest, rest, rest on the break. Rest. And then this week I wrote, sent a message, you know, we're going to simplify things because I need to rest more and recover too. So, um, so hearing you speak that way, Renee makes me think, ah, change is happening. And of course Mm. change happens from the bottom grassroots university. Mm. Mm. So the change is happening. So it is happening, but just from the bottom. Okay. I'm like, let's leave, let's leave on that, on that hopeful note (laughs) that, that you're right. No, you're right. You're right. I think that we have to, we have to acknowledge that, you know, because that can trickle out, you know, into so many different ways and and we then become the models, right? If we're going to have students that will eventually become professors, but they have us as a model, 
with grace and empathy, then yeah, that'll, that'll be the model that they, you know, hopefully emulate and, and, you know, even more so, you know, take to the next level. But anyway, thank you so much, Annalinda, for, for like Christina said, sharing your wisdom and yeah, Thank I just want to say, I feel like I want to end with the gratitude like we do. I think if it's fitting, mm. gratitude to Anna Linda, gratitude to our students, gratitude to our listeners, gratitude mm. to these change makers, or I don't, you know, your word of choice with those, that, those, that you know, phrase, but um, so grateful we're doing this together. Thank you. And we'll see everybody next episode. Mm-hmm.